Good morning. Rise in freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and thankful to have you here. Click the like button and subscribe to the channel. If you're enjoying the content that you're viewing today, we'd love to have you come back and join us. Our show schedule is every Monday through Friday from 7 to 9 a.m. Central Time. Come back, join us, drop some comments, some likes, and introduce yourself. If it's your first time here today over in the Rumble Convent section, we appreciate all of our new listeners. And don't forget, we also have an audio version of this show, which we upload every single day as well. You can download on any of your mobile devices. We'd be glad to have you listen to us later if you can't catch us live in the mornings. You can also text the show at 573-319-1586. Let us know what's on your mind. If you think that there's a story that we're missing, I love it when people send us in news stories. Do my job for me. I appreciate that. Again, the text line is 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. All right, let's get the show on the road. I got kind of a mishmash of articles. Sometimes the news is a little bit slow, especially during the holidays. It makes my job a little bit harder. But I do have some really fun clips for you this morning. I've got some Joe Rogan talking about how he doesn't think that the Democrats can win next year's election if Biden's at the top of the ticket. But FYI, there's going to be some pretty savage language in that one. He uses the F word. He uses every, you know, every bad word that there is in the book. So just so you know, there will be some cursing in the show this morning. It won't be me. It's Joe Rogan. But uh, just an FYI, when Joe Rogan comes off, bad words. Um, I've also got another story about why workers aren't happy. Americans, by many measures, are unhappier at work than they've been in years. We're going to talk about why that might be, and I think I understand why. Maybe maybe you do as well. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. At uh, 7.30 this morning, I'm really interested to hear what David Winery, my Jew for Jesus, who's going to be joining us this morning at 7.30 a.m. to talk about Javier Malay of Argentina's trip to the United States. First thing that he did was go and visit a rabbi's grave in Brooklyn, New York. So interesting stuff. And then Javier Malay did have his meeting with top Biden officials, Treasury officials, as well as their national security advisor, as Javier Malay, the newly elected libertarian prime minister of Argentina, uh, is going to be uh, taking their foreign policy and turning it away from China, away from Russia, away from Iran, and towards the United States of America, baby. Yeah. God bless Javier Malay. Uh, at uh, 8 o'clock, Judge Napolitano is going to be joining us to talk about the bizarre endorsement by Americans for Prosperity, the Koch brothers outfit, of Nikki Haley. What? <laughs> talking about bro i i don't get it uh it's oddest thing i've ever heard man oh my like, god man what the it's like kind of oh my god bro oh hell, hell no man what the f- man get your ass on man. <laughs> get your goddamn ass. <laughs> anyways judge napolitano has some thoughts about that and of course the internet blew up over it i saw ron DeSantis supporters were saying this should be treated as an in-kind donation for Donald Trump, which is just so bizarre and weird. Primaries just bring out the absolute worst in people, it seems. We'll hear from the judge this morning, and it's the best of the morning show. Big brain time at 8 a.m. with Judge Napolitano. At 8.30 a.m. this morning, we're going to hear from J.D. Tuchili. Oh, I know you guys are excited. Haven't heard from him in a little while. Talking about why nobody trusts the science anymore. He wrote a great piece in Reason Magazine titled, the science suffers from self-inflicted political wounds and with a subtitle of a separation of science and politics might be called for. God bless, God bless. 
bless us, everyone. You will be visited by three ghosts this Christmas season. The ghost of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, that's Joe Biden, and the ghost of Christmas future, that is, I don't know, Javier Malay. We'll hear your thoughts about that today if you send us a text at 573-319-1586. Again, that's 573-319-1586. We'd love to have you come here and join us again every Monday through Friday, 7 to 9 Central. Okay, so I think this, first of all, before we move on to uh, bad words from uh, Joe Rogan, this isn't like bad words, but it's not like nice words. I don't know why this clip just made me laugh my ass off this morning. But I saw this guy who posted it. Popular Pick is the account uh, on Twitter. And he says, me, when someone says they will vote for Joe Biden, if Nikki Haley is the GOP nominee. Y'all going to excuse me just a second. I'm, I, I've got to go pee and then throw up. <laughs> so I don't know what prompted this. Maybe it was just the endorsement of Nikki Haley yesterday and maybe some DeSantis people or I don't know, some pe- maybe Trump people or whoever, somebody who is triggered by Nikki Haley says that it said that uh, if Joe Biden is the nominee, or excuse me, if Nikki Haley is the nominee, that they would rather vote for Joe Biden. Y'all going to excuse me just a second. I'm, I, I've got to go pee and then throw up. <laughs> oh, God. My article this week in Human Events Magazine, triggered, triggered. Uh, uh, <laughs> that's what my articles over there seem to do. You're working for Jack Posobiec. You're working for Jack Posobiec. It's, yeah, it, I'm, an, I'm a contractor, right? I write articles. I pitch them stories, and they choose to run them. It's my ideas that they're platforming, guys. Calm down. Uh, it's my libertarian ideas that Jack Posobiec wants to put on Human Events. That's how that works, okay? I saw that uh, John Burke posted a clip of us talking on his show yesterday, which we did 90 minutes. And I thought it was a good discussion. But so people seem to think that it's an own that I like, got John Burke to say that he's not an ever Trumper because he voted for Trump twice. But now he's not going to vote for Donald Trump no matter what, which I think that's what the definition of a never Trumper is, is that, yeah, maybe you voted for him in the past, but now you're saying you'll never vote for him again in the future. I mean, that's why I feel Y'all like... Y'all going to excuse me just a second. I'm, I, I've got to go pee and then throw up. I mean, I'm not like Mitt Romney where I would say I would vote for Joe Biden over Ron DeSantis. I mean, it's stupid. And that's what my article this week at Human Events is about. Mitt Romney unendorsing, or I say it's an unendorsement of Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy. And what I think that shows, which is that the populist side of the Republican Party, which is where I'm at, I'm with the populists, I'm with the Viveks of the Republican Party. I'm a libertarian populist, if you will, right? I think we got to fight against the elites. And we're going to talk about the United Nations telling us that we should cut down on our meat consumption, for example. Uh, but when Mitt Romney says that he wouldn't vote for, he'd vote for Joe Biden over, um, He'd vote for Joe Biden over Vivek or Trump. Well, I think that is a pretty ringing endorsement for people like me. I mean, I don't know about you. It's, it's not the kind of thing that would make me decide to support Trump or Vivek, but it's the kind of thing that makes me think, well, maybe my decision to like Vivek and possibly vote for Vivek I said possibly, right? Calm down. 
endorsement? That's an endorsement. No, it's not an endorsement, kids. It's a, that's where I'm leaning right now. And I'm signaling that way because that's who I like the most at this point. But I'm willing to change my mind if confronted with evidence to the contrary. Um, so my argument here is this. Doesn't it make you a little bit, I won't say uncomfortable, but isn't it at least a yellow flag that he's comfortable voting, Mitt Romney is comfortable voting for Nikki Haley or Ron DeSantis or Chris Christie, but he's not comfortable voting for Vivek Ramaswamy. He's not comfortable. He's not comfortable voting for Donald Trump. I mean, you could understand why Mitt Romney would not want to vote for Donald Trump. And perhaps you might say, okay, well, I could understand why Romney might not want to vote for Vivek because he's calling out his niece, Rana Romney McDaniel, who is the head of the RNC, and Vivek put her on blast during the debate, asking her to step down. And so maybe it's just personal with Romney. Maybe Romney just wouldn't vote for Vivek because he was mean to his niece. I doubt that. I highly doubt that. I think that it's probably more than that. I think if anything, if that's anything, it's maybe 20 to 30% of why Mitt would not vote for Vivek. And the other 70% of it is because Vivek represents a departure from Mitt Romney's principles. It's because Vivek is closer to Trump than, uh, and Romney is closer to Biden. I think Romney has thought about these things. I think Romney is not as stupid, perhaps, as we give him credit for. I think he's very clearly an, an establishment, Rockefeller-style Republican that is opposed to the type of anti-elitist populism that comes from the right wing, the base of the Republican Party, where people like you and I are at these days. So that's what my piece in Human Events this week is about. One, it's about the ridiculousness of Mitt Romney saying he would vote for Joe Biden over Vivek or Trump. And two, that it shows, I think it signals that, and I think the most likely scenario is that Donald Trump is going to win the nomination. It signals that the populist revolution that's happening around the world, the worldwide populist revolution, has certain key figures in it. People like Vivek Ramaswamy, Donald Trump in the United States, Javier Malay in Argentina and South America, Bolsonaro uh, in Brazil, and Geert Wilders, uh, the Dutch uh, person who might become prime minister of the Netherlands, uh, as the part of the populist uprising that's happening around the world. I think that Mitt Romney is signaling to us. Now, I know you DeSantis supporters are going to be triggered by this, but too bad. But doesn't it make you wonder why? I mean, is Ron DeSantis with us? Is he part of this? Right? If Ron DeSantis were to win the Republican nomination and become president of the United States, would he be on the same team as Javier Malay? Would he be on the same team as, as Geert Wilders? I, you know, are, are DeSantis people anti-Vivek Ramaswamy? I want to know these things. Don't you? I want to know what DeSantis thinks about Vivek Ramaswamy, truly. I want to know what DeSantis thinks about Javier Malay. And that's why I'm curious, why didn't Ron DeSantis call Javier Malay to congratulate him? Vivek Ramaswamy, he openly call, uh, called Javier Malay, he did a whole analysis. We understand where Vivek's brain is at. Trump called him, congratulated him. It makes me think that maybe they're on the same side. If so, whoever's on the side of Javier Malay, I'm with them. If you're against Javier Malay, 
you're riding, you're riding against me. That's fine. You know, you can be on the Mitt Romney side of things or Nikki Haley or whatever that endorsement. We're going to talk to Judge Napolitano about that this morning. But I want to be clear. I want it to be clear where I stand. I stand with Vivek Ramaswamy. I stand with Javier Malay. I stand with the populist uprising happening in this country and around the world. Does Ron DeSantis stand with us? I just, I'm not saying this to like just poke and be like aggressive here. I'm honestly asking you, is Ron DeSantis on that side of things, right? Is it, why is it Mitt Romney feels comfortable voting for Ron DeSantis, but not Vivek Ramaswamy? Like, don't you wonder that? Am I, am I off base here? Yeah, I just wonder what people think about that. All right, so here comes some naughty words. Joe Rogan thinks that there's no way that Joe Biden wins next year. Let's hear his thoughts here on this. If you're not aware, there's people that are working on the homeless. There's like a shitload of them. And some of them, they're making a quarter million dollars a year. And they mm-hmm. are not putting a fucking dent in it. There are people who are making a quarter of a million dollars a year in California on working on the homeless population, they're not going to have any problem uh, affording their homes. But um, take that money, maybe it could go to help the homeless. They're not effective at all. In fact, the only thing that I saw that was effective at all in stopping the tents and the homeless situation was when Xi Jinping visited San Francisco. (laughs) They fucking cleaned it up like that. Like, you could have done this the whole time. What do they do to those people? Where do they put those people? I don't know, but what are they going to do now? Now that Xi Jinping is gone, are they going to like take down the fences and let people camp again? Like you showed that the overall quality of life of the people that live in that city is not important to you. What's important is the view, the optics, when a fucking dictator comes and visits, which is so wild. Yeah, I saw, you know, the governor, Gavin Newsom. I guess, do you think he's, I think he's going to run for, I think, I, I'm just more, I, you know, I try not to get political, but I'm just like, That's what's going to happen in the next election? Biden even going to be able to run? I, mean, I think like, at this point, they kind of have to run him unless he dies. <laughs> I don't, we don't have, we have one year now. We're in November. We're in late November. We have less than a year. Like what, it, how, what are they going to do? I mean, you could look if Biden died tomorrow and then what do they do with Kamala Harris? They're going to put her on the moon. Like what are they going to do? <laughs> She's the vice president. So if he dies, she becomes the president, which is Fucking wild when you hear that lady talk. What if, what if, what if, like Biden says, like in I don't know May, he says, you know, I'm I'm just not feeling up to it, and then and then they say Kamala is now the president. She's the first female president, and then she steps down at the convention, and they said, well, let's give it to, to Newsom. I mean, do you that think that's a plausible scenario? Is possible, but it would be a real problem for people that are Kamala Harris supporters, and believe it or not, they exist. Yes. Yeah, but yes. I mean, how, I mean, I'm sure that I'm sure the Democratic Party is just like calculating how they big, have to be. how big is this and what's what's the thing? I think that? they have fucking no cards. They... <laughs> this is why people love Joe Rogan, man. Uh, and I, you know, so again, sorry for all of the bad language. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. We're glad to have you here. Click the like button, subscribe to the channel as you make your way in here. Uh, Joe Rogan is here talking to his guest. I'm not sure who his guest is. Uh, about why he thinks that Joe Biden has no chance next year. It's less than a year in. It's going to be Joe Biden. If it's not Joe Biden, maybe he steps down. Kamala Harris comes up. I don't see that happening. Let's continue this segment. And they're looking at this this game. And I don't know. I think they're depending upon party loyalty. And they're depending upon Trump getting convicted and arrested. I mean, and and, um, uh, imprisoned, rather. 
I don't know if that's gonna happen. I don't think it is. It doesn't mm. seem to, it just seems like it's a bunch of trumped up charges. No pun intended. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I just I, I, again, I, I I'm not a political commentator. I'm not an expert. It does seem like really like why are they going after him so hard right now when they could have done it? You know, like the the, the whatever the hotel thing or the valuation of the property from 20 years ago. It's bananas. Right. The valuation yeah. of the property is so obvious, so off what it should be. $18 million for Mar-a-Lago? I'd fucking buy it. I'd fucking buy it immediately. If that shit was $18 million and you were the only one that was able to buy it, you'd be a fool not to scoop it up because you could sell it right yeah. away. You could get a loan and you could sell that bitch right away for who knows how much. I mean, I think Forbes valued it. I think it was like well over $700 million. Wow. And Trump thinks it's worth over a billion. And he might be right. That's what's crazy. It's a giant piece of property in one of the most valuable pieces of land in all of America. I mean, yeah. a house next to him, down the street, a much smaller place. If you're not aware, yeah, there's a lot of people in the center to. that convict your sense. If you, they're they're if trying you want to convict Trump for saying that he had three and a half baths when he really had four. I mean, that's what they're hoping to send Donald Trump to prison on. But look Let's at continue. banana public, republic banana tactics. Republic, yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you're imprisoning and, and trying to convict your political opponents, which is, I, yes. the problem with that is, even if this is the kind of stuff Vladimir Putin if you think does. Donald Trump is a crook, even if you think that he should be arrested. This sets a precedent for future presidents. If we get someone who is not just Donald Trump, who has a lot of people in the center that say, hey, his economic policies were effective, his foreign policies were effective, even if I think he's a jerk, maybe that would be better to have a jerk run the country in a way that's better overall than what's being done right now. Even if you looked at that. What if someone further right than him steps in? What if a war breaks out? What if things get even crazier? What if nationalism really upticks? Then you have someone who is now in power that is far right, like has happened all over the world. If that happens and that person, if that precedent has been set for prosecuting your political opponents and yeah. going after them with trumped up charges, we have a horrible situation. And yeah. that's one of the yeah. reasons why we have to stick with the rule of law. We have to stick with the, the, the way this country was founded on. These principles were set up because they wanted to mitigate corruption at its base level at every step of the way. They want. And we've had this conversation with um, uh, with uh, the judge. Judge Napolitano thinks that he, he believes that it's possible that Donald Trump, if he goes to jail, could still get elected, might be still elected. We think, I think that that would probably increase his chances of getting elected, to be honest. I think people would probably find that quite distasteful to see him being actually locked up for saying that he had, you know, four, three and a half bathrooms when he really had four to a bank in order to secure a loan. And then the loan was entirely paid back anyway. So if he wins, Judge Napolitano believes that the Supreme Court would probably immediately step in and say that the supremacy clause of the United States Constitution, it, it would be invoked in order to ensure continuity of government. Donald Trump would have to serve whatever jail term he would receive, like three months after he was president of the United States, meaning Trump would then go free serve his term as president and then have to report to jail immediately after the uh term the next term. <laughs> yeah it's bizarre it's bizarre <laughs> good god good morning welcome to wake up america show i'm your host austin peterson we're glad and grateful to have you here 
Make sure that you click that like button and subscribe to the channel as you're joining us here this morning. We appreciate all of our listeners, as well as my lovely wife, Stephanie Peterson, who's here this morning. Hi, Steffi. How are you, my love? And good morning to all of our other friends. Quest Fanning, Matt Unruh is here, as well as Horatius148. How you doing, Horatius? I think this is the first time I've seen you here. We're glad to have you, as well as Floby Tenderson. Welcome to the show this morning, guys. Thanks so much for your comments this morning. We appreciate that very much. All right, next story here. The United Nations, uh, the lead United Nations agency overseeing food and agriculture policy is expected to issue a roadmap in the coming weeks, which will call on the West, especially America, to dramatically reduce its meat consumption. Anyways, so this recommendation is that is to nations that quote overconsume meat to limit their consumption as part of a broader effort to reduce greenhouse ga- gas emissions. Now, how do you define overconsume meat, right? How is it that you do that? And why is it that why is it that you think that the United States would ever give one good goddamn what the United Nations thinks about our meat consumption? Am I right? They want us to live in the pod and eat the bugs. They're not going to say this to uh, underdeveloped nations. They're going to encourage them to eat meat. They're not going to say this to people who are starving in Africa. They're not going to say this to uh, nations that they see as underdeveloped. They're only going to say it to the people of the United States because they're jealous of us and how our delicious cows have made us one of the envy of the world. We are one of the envy of the world in terms of the food that we eat here. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, we're obese. Oh, we're people. It's an epidemic. We're fat. We're diabetic and all that kind of stuff. Well, it's better to have those problems than to have the opposite problem. It's better to have the problems that the United States is facing than to have the problems that Nigeria is facing. It's better to have the problems that the United States is facing than it is to have the problems that Eastern Europe is facing, right? It's better to be an American and fat and diabetic than it is to be starving to death, broke ass, and nobody gives a rip about you in the world. Am I right or am I right? I'm right. And just hit the I'm right button. And everybody cheers. Jeremy Collar, who is the chair and founder of this initiative, says the failure of leading meat and dairy companies to reduce emissions underlines the urgent need for more policy focus on the food and agriculture ses- uh, sector. Hmm, that's interesting. Now, this uh, article that I read today from my friend Mike Apelka, who sends me a news of the day, in case you missed it, uh, a study examines how a massive 2022 eruption changed stratosphere chemistry and dynamics. In case you missed it, it's a volcano that's causing climate change, not cow farts, right? It's called the Hunga Tonga Hunga Hapai volcano. It uh, erupted on January 15th last year of the South, in the South Pacific and produced a shockwave felt around the world, triggered tsunamis. Uh, it also changed the chemistry and dynamics of the stratosphere in the year following the eruption, leading to unprecedented losses in the ozone layer of up to 7% over large areas of the Southern Hemisphere. It's the volcanoes that are truly the cause of climate change in the world. And it's things like that that have always been the cause of climate change. For the most part, things like Oh, I don't know, giant meteors that come from the uh, that come from space and kill most of the dinosaurs and leave only little rat like mammal creatures running around the earth that so that, you know, millions of years later evolve into human beings. It's not the cow farts, ladies and gentlemen, they just don't they they're jealous of our delicious cows 
because other people in other countries don't have our delicious cows. They want to reduce the GDP of the United States because they want countries like China and Russia and India to catch up with us and Iran to catch up with us. So they want us to reduce our consumption of meat, not to save the planet, but so that the enemies of the United States can have a better chance of dominating the world. This is not about cow farts. It's about global domination. It's about foreign policy. And it's about evil trying to fight against good. Uh, David Winery says, link incoming? Question mark? Yes, the link is incoming. Javier Malay makes his first trip to the United States, meets with the Biden administration, and visits the grave of a rabbi. What does this mean? We'll talk about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. I'm glad to have you here. Thanks so much for tuning in. Don't forget to click that like button and subscribe to the channel as you're making your way to your seats this morning. We appreciate you very much. You can text the show today at 573-319-1586. The text line again, anytime you want to text us, night or day, is 573-319-1586. All right, let's get this show on the road. Javier Malay, the libertarian, newly elected prime minister of Argentina, visits the United States, his first trip to see a rabbi. Well, a dead rabbi, a rabbi's grave. And uh, the latest news is, is that Javier Belay has now met with top officials from the Joe Biden administration. The headline from AP News says, Argentina's president-elect tells top Biden officials that he's committed to freedom. Well, I bet the Biden administration officials didn't really care for that. Joining us now to discuss this and that and like this and like that is David Winery, whose camera's not working today, but a nice little picture of him is uh, anyway. Good morning, David. How are you doing? Good morning. How are you doing this morning, Austin? All right. How is life as a Republican attorney from Kansas City, David? Um, I don't even know if I want to be called Republican anymore. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i guess that's actually not a bad opener why is that david i just am just kind of i'm just kind of done with both parties i think i uh -huh. think you've been i don't think you've ever liked both parties but i'm definitely getting done with both of them at this point well we've got something south of the border to look forward to at least the election of javier malay gives people like us hope wouldn't you say Oh, I would definitely say it's a it's kind of like an earthquake, just especially for something like that to happen in a place like Argentina. I mean, they've they've had some radical leaders in the past, but this guy this guy's competing for one of the more radical leaders ever, in a way. Mm -hmm. I mean, he call he is a literal Austrian economist. He is I mean, one of us, and he apparently is also one of you, David. What's the story about him coming to visit uh, the United States and visiting the grave of a rabbi? I, I do find that kind of, I just don't find that kind of interesting, except that Argentina, I think, I believe they have the largest Jewish population in South America. So they do have, he does have, that, that place does have quite a few Jews down there. And when you look at a lot of the traditional Austrian econ economists, a lot of them are Jewish. That's true. Um, but uh, Javier Malay is not Jewish yet, uh, but he seems to sympathize. I, from what I understood, 
uh, before World War II, when the Nazis were cracking down on the Jews in Europe, many of those Jews fled to Argentina, which was quite ironic because after World War II, many of the Nazis fled to Argentina as well. So it's kind of a fascinating ethnic soup down there uh, in that country. But the election of Javier Malay has, like you said, really shaken up politics. It is like an earthquake. I wonder what your thoughts are, though, about him coming to the United States and um, meeting with Jewish leaders here in the United States. You said specifically in your text to me that he he's uh, hanging out with the Chabad Jews, which are the ones that you've sworn your fealty to. Yeah, exactly. I think that those are probably, I mean, I, of course, I'm going to be biased towards Chabad being a member of Chabad. But they... Chabad tends to stay towards the more liberal stance, I mean, the more traditional stances of Judaism, as opposed to Zionism, which I thought was interesting. I don't know if you saw it yesterday, but I think everybody but Thomas Massey in the House voted to equate anti-Zionism with anti-Semitism. Well, he voted against that. Yeah, he's the only one that voted against it, was Massey, which I think right. is quite interesting because if you look at Torah, you know, we're not supposed to put anything before the Lord, including the state of Israel. And technically, by Jewish law also, we're not supposed to be taking back the Holy Land by force either. So Zionism tends to run in direct conflict with a lot of Judaism, but the one, the sects that really, you know, protest that the most are the traditional Chabad rabbis and whatnot. But Javier has shown a willingness to side with Israel. He's turning their foreign policy away from Iran and China and Russia, as it has been in the past under the Democratic Socialists, and towards Israel and towards the United States. He was seen waving an Israeli flag after the October 7th attacks, for example. No, I agree. And I think it's probably a, I think that's probably a shrewd, a very shrewd political move on his part. Because, I mean, wherever China goes, they tend to they tend to have a lot of strings attached to whatever help they give a state. And Russia is not one that you want to completely trust either. I think the biggest thing that he's doing is that he seems to want to appear to bring back, you know, sovereignty to Argentina and kind of have Argentina move back to kind of leading their own way instead of being enmeshed in all these, you know, organizations. Like, I think it's interesting because he's going to be pulling Argentina out of the bricks, which is quite an interesting move because that, the bricks are really growing fast. I mean, a lot of nations are getting involved in that. And are they you don't able want to explain to that, that to our either. listeners so they, so they know what you mean by the bricks? Yeah, BRICS stands for Brazil, Russia, India, and China. Those it's it's kind of like an anti, I guess G twenty form or G eight form anyway. G twenty I think included China and Russia and India, but it's also and it's also meant to be a countermeasure to NATO either. And it's and it's also trying to get rid of, you know the, the, dominance of the petrodollar so to speak, because I've noticed that. Saudi Arabia, I think, I think it was United Arab Emirates. They're they just transitioned to where they're not going to be doing any more oil transactions, except probably with you know the United States and whatnot in dollars anymore. 
For sure. And it, that is a very huge thing keeping the dollar afloat, in my opinion. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, I'm speaking to David Winery. He's a Republican attorney from Kansas City. Uh, we're talking to him about the election of Javier Malay of Argentina and his trip to the United States. Uh, I noticed that Javier Malay met with top Biden officials, tells them that he's committed to freedom. This is his first international trip since he won his uh, presidential runoff that earlier the mo- this month. Uh, the AP News is reporting that Malay had a, quote, positive meeting with White House National Security Advisors. The visit occurred while Joe Biden was away. But the statement from Malay's office says this, his views on the international geopolitical ad- agenda aligned with the West and his commitment to the values of freedom conveyed the willingness of the United States to cooperate in the transition of the incoming Argentine government, given the challenging political, economic, and social circumstances that the country is facing. So the Biden administration uh, is happy to meet with Javier Malay, who are, I won't say the, at the complete opposite end of the ideological spectrum than themselves, but you know, willing to make common cause with uh, Argentina despite the fact that Javier Malay is literally an anarcho-capitalist. It's kind of a bizarre meeting of the minds, isn't it? It's, it's quite bizarre because if you look at the kind of things that Biden is doing, I mean, he's more closely aligned with the Soviet Union 30 years ago, in my opinion. So what do you think happens? I mean, at a meeting like that, does Javier Malay say, Oh well, we don't like anything you stand for, but we're glad. At least we're going to ally with the United States. Do you think that? Uh, do you think that Javier Malay is secretly rooting for uh, Donald Trump to win next month or next year? Well, I mean, I don't know if you noticed, but he's inviting he he he's inviting Lula, who's the current president of Brazil, of course, to his inauguration. But it kind of came with a caveat where he's inviting Bolsonaro also. <laughs> <laughs> so I could definitely see him. Bolsonaro is quite the Austrian capital, also. I think a lot of people are rooting for Trump to win at this point. And I think it really doesn't have a lot to do with people maybe, you know, having some reconnected love to Donald Trump. I just think the Biden administration has been such a complete disaster that you almost take anybody over this guy, except Kamala, of course. (laughs) We don't want to go from bad to worse there. David, you're rooting for Donald Trump next year? Um, well, I mean, my my core sympathies lie with RFK Jr. right now, but I would I would not be opposed if Trump won again. I mean, I voted for him twice. Do you think do you think that RFK Jr. takes more votes from Trump than he does from Biden? You know, that is an interesting way of looking at it, and it's there was a poll I think that came out of last week that showed RFK Jr. ahead in independence in a three-way race. And also RFK Jr. is just mopping the floor right now with the 35 and under crowd. But that always goes back to the do the 35 and under vote. <laughs> so that's question. always kind of a problem too. But I mean on a on an issue basis, if you look at it, the people who might have liked Donald Trump in the last two elections, people like yourself may be more inclined to vote for RFK because of Trump's position on the vaccine. Am I correct? I think I think that is a completely correct statement. And I think I it boggles my mind when you look at Trump's continued continued advocacy of the vaccine. 
because bef- I mean, it, I think it goes all the way back to like the nineties where he was very against vaccine for a very long time. And he still has, you know, some anti-vax, you know, politics involved in a lot of things, but I, I almost feel like he still backs the vax just because of his ego. <laughs> he doesn't want to have to admit that he was wrong. Me too. I uh, I feel the same way. I feel like Trump doesn't. It's it's. He knows that he would probably be better off, you know, backing off of the things that he he did when it came to the to the pandemic. But also, it's like you know, it's kind of like the sword of Damocles, David. In some ways, where it, he's damned if you do, damned if he doesn't. It, during the pandemic, when we we all didn't know or understand completely the severity of it, and remember. Remember he got COVID right before we all thought he was going to die. And it was like three weeks before the election. I mean, this country was kind of on the brink. It felt like we were teetering. So, I mean, you know, we, we sort of forget sometimes how high the stakes were at that time period. You know what I mean? You know, there was a, there was a lot of fear out there. And when you had the, you had basically a 24 seven news cycle of, you know, conditioning people to be afraid of their grandparents and to be afraid of their own families and to not want to have family gatherings. And I mean, I had a friend of mine who I've known since high school who, you know, he was working remotely. He was having his food delivered, his groceries delivered. I think the only time he ventured out of his house was to go to a quick trip about a mile from his house when he ran out of vodka. (laughs) That's the only thing that could get him to leave the house. And, you know, looking back at retrospect, I think a lot of us feel ridiculous for thinking that, you know, staying away from people at six feet and wearing these masks and, you know, afraid to go to family gatherings. And you, and you see those, you see those old photographs where people, you know, they, they had all these weird plastic partitions, even when they're like working out and whatnot. It's like, I mean, viruses are kind of undefeated when it comes to being communicable. There's, there's not a whole lot you can do about a virus except let it run its course. And I just think that all the weird, and when you start looking really back at the old stuff that was just crazy when you're, you know, arresting hairdressers and, you know, people were building out in the ocean. Yeah. And how about how scary, how about how stupid it was? When you've had people, they were building basically enclosed buildings outside their restaurants. <laughs> and how all of a sudden was that supposed to be better than just having people sit in the restaurants? And probably the most absurd law of all was how you, if you were sitting at your table, you could have your mask off. But if you got up to go to the bathroom or anything like that, like somehow if you were in a standing position, then, then you needed a mask to like walk to the bathroom. Yeah, we all remember how ridiculous it was. David, one of our listeners texted in at our text line at 573-319-1586. This is what they had to say, and I wonder how you would respond. They said RFK was okay, even though some issues I didn't agree with, but his all-out support for Israel proves he is not anti-war after all and is sold out to the same people our Congress is. How would you respond to that? (laughs) I don't want to. I don't want to say anybody has sold. I mean, there's. It's a tough question for you, David. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not, there's no disputing that the Jewish community punches above their weight, so to speak, 
as far as numbers and whatnot. And they accomplished a lot of that through, you know, their extensive political donation networks. And it's just like any other ethnic. I mean, it's like it's kind of like, you know, even Republicans in places where, you know, they're not even they don't stand a chance of even getting 10 percent of the black vote will still bend over backwards, catering to the black community. I think that's kind of a lot of the things that happen now with the Jews. And I don't know if you can necessarily say that, well, just because, you know, he's, I can't remember, oh, it's Smooley Boltit. I believe that was the rabbi who reeled him in when he, you know, said that the COVID could have been a bioweapon that was designed by the Chinese and the Jews. And somehow the Ashkenazi Jews were, they weren't affected by it enough, which would make sense if it, if it was actually a bioweapon. If there was going to be a genetic bioweapon, I imagine you could, you know, have it not attack certain DNA strands. But then he was kind of reeled in. And I think, it, I think it's just like any other thing. I mean, even, you know, Jesse Jackson has had been to knee to the Jews. I just think they're another political force in this country that, people do not want to get on the bad side of uh my my position has just been that i think that the uh the state of israel are the good guys in a conflict and, and, and if i i try and put myself into people's shoes and if i were an israeli i would feel uh the same sense of insecurity that they do surrounded by 22 hostile arab nations um and a myriad of other reasons. But I, I always love the accusations that like my strings are being pulled because I have these these views. Uh, and of course, I love it. You, you know, Stephanie, people are like, well, so you're doing it just because Stephanie, Stephanie's pulling the strings. And it's just so funny because wow. Stephanie cares about nothing but puppies and and, and uh, her therapy clients and stuff like that. It's not it's not that at all. But I mean, there always has been these, there have been these shadowy conspiracies. I'm sure you're familiar with the protocols of the elders of Zion, David. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Do you and, think those, do you think those are real? Because what I've managed, what I've read and what I've understood of that is that this was created by the czarist Russia at the time in order to justify the pogroms that were going on. Uh, and even Henry Ford, who wrote the International Jew, the like the big anti-Semitic text, later in his life said that he was wrong and he got bamboozled. What are your thoughts on it? I, I think you're, I think with any political group and the Jews notwithstanding, everybody kind of puts together all these huge conspiracies of why they're doing this and why they're doing that. But they're really no, they're really no different than any other, you know, ethnic group. Like, you know, like say in China, the mandarins of all the different types of Chinese tend to run the country and they're very critical of the Cantonese. That's why they kind of say China went in and they were angry towards Hong Kong because it was more of a Cantonese place. And what I always like to tell people about the Jews are is that let's just take, for example, I go to Jewish prayers every Thursday night. And I mean, there was one time and this wasn't at where we normally have Jewish prayers, but there was one time that we got into such a heated discussion that one of the Jews left and slammed the door so hard he broke the plate glass on the door. <laughs> you know, we have we have people like I'll say Greenblatt's a terrorist, and then other people will say Soros is a Nazi, and you know, and then there's ones that are for Palestine, and there's ones that 
can't stop calling Palestine Palestinians terrorists enough. And one thing people always have to realize about the Jews is that we don't necessarily get along with each other. People always act like, you know, we're like this not a monolithic thing. I was just not thinking that this morning. I literally thought the same thing because I saw people were like, we're saying, oh, well, you see the Jews in Israel are like the Jews in the United States. And I'm like, bro, they're not a monolith. It's like saying all white people are the same, right? It's We're not. Yeah. 80% of Israelis right now want to dump Netanyahu. <laughs> you know, I mean, I think they're more, I mean, if anybody, I think probably Americans support Netanyahu more than the actual Israeli people do. Probably true. And probably I, I, true. I just think yeah, I just think we need to get away. I mean, are there good Jews? Are there bad Jews? Of course. You know, there's good and bad in every group out there, but that doesn't yeah, mean there's libertarian Jews and there's communist Jews. Yeah. And basically, the if you want to look at it really kind of odd, the Jews invented communism, but there's also a school of thought that says they they're they're part of the fathers of libertarianism too. Well, they absolutely are the the founders of libertarianism. Ayn Rand, a perfect example, and uh, and um, Ludwig von Mises and Murray Rothbard himself. Yeah. But we're running up, we're running out of time. David, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners before we let you go today? I just think it's going to start getting really interesting as far as the right starting to take control of places because you saw Garrett Wilders. I mean, I was even surprised about that in Netherlands. I mean. I thought he was just another one of those kind of gadflies that you're just going to hear about forever that would never really get anywhere. And now he's going to be calling the shots. The Finland guy who just got elected, he's pretty right wing, too. You have basically a right wing government in Sweden right now. Amazing. You have right wingers. Yeah. I mean, we're winning. I mean, I'm like winning, David. Definitely. Yeah. I'd like to think Marine Le Pen maybe finally has a chance in France. And you looked at the Farmers Party took over in the Netherlands also in those elections. Now, I mean, I, I, I mean, liberalism and the taxation and telling everybody what to do and their censorship and everything, it's a tired ideology that I just don't think anybody really agrees with or likes because it is so dysfunctional and it, and it doesn't work really for anybody. <laughs> so I think you. the right is going to, by default, going to start winning. I'm with you, David. And I, from your, as the rabbi says, from your lips to God's ears, thanks for your time today, David. We appreciate you very much. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. I think at some point I'm going to have this whole Zoom thing figured out. All if right. If I have to have yep. a tech guy come in and build a Zoom thing, play around with <laughs> it so that next time we can see your beautiful face. All right. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you. What do you think of David Winery? Give us a text at 573 319. 1586. That's 573 319 1586. We'd love to hear from you today at 573 319 1586. I'm firmly of, you, of the view that Harvey Malay's inspiring leadership will, over the long term, see Argentina revive from its slumber and truly make Argentina great again and provide a, provide a demonstration to the world of the greatness of the anarcho capitalist approach to public policy. Don't cry for me, Argentina is out. Inspire me, Argentina is in. I am a Malayist. Vamos, Malay. What? New South Wales Minister of Parliament saying the world will learn from Javier Malay. And the translation from Google says, and it is a Malay thermos. What? What? <laughs> 
Malay thermos. I think it's the time of Malay is what that actually means. That is a minister of parliament parliament from New South Wales saying the world will learn from Malay and it is a Malay thermos. You'll love to see it. <laughs> good stuff. Good stuff. You love this. How are you doing today? Click like and subscribe to the channel if you're enjoying the content that you're seeing so far this morning. I have to say thank you to my buddy Ancap79 over on Twitter uh, who sent me that clip this morning. I appreciate you very much. Ancap79. Uh, the anarcho capitalists are having, they don't know what to do with Javier Malay. You got some anarcho capitalists in the United States who love him because they are, uh, because of course he's an anarcho capitalist. And then you got some anarcho capitalists who hate Javier Malay because he's for the Jews. So it's, <laughs> what do you do? What do you say? Uh, before we go to big brain time with Judge Napolitano, I want to remind you about the delicious founding flavors coffee that we have exclusively over at ap4libertyshop.com. Oop, wrong button. There we go. Break out. There we go. Listen to this. Can you hear that? That's whole bean. You can get it whole bean or ground. Get it your way right away at Founding Flavors Coffee. My coffee at apforlibertyshop.com is ultra premium. That's one step above premium. If you are not a coffee lover and you drink Folgers coffee and it's been left in your truck for a couple of days and it's got the grounds at the bottom of it and it's cold and you just drink it because you don't care and, you know, coffee's coffee too, this probably might not be your brand. I'll be honest. It's not for everybody. If you're the type of person who knows coffee and loves coffee and says, I got to have really good coffee to get my day started. Right here, you can see Thomas Jefferson hanging out at Monticello. Imagine getting a beautiful gift box of these as a family member who loves coffee. All of our beautiful boxes of Founding Flavors coffee can be delivered to you right to your door if you go to ap4libertyshop.com. Jeffersonian Java is a distinct blend harmonizing the intellectual brightness of lemon with the agrarian sweetness of caramel. This concoction is perfect for those who appreciate an intricacy of flavors as profound as Jefferson's own philosophy. Jeffersonian Java Light Roast. This is the highly caffeinated brand from FoundingFlavors.com. Imagine give, getting this as a gift. I got a phone call from a buddy the other day, over-the-road truck driver who pulled off uh, to a truck stop to have a conversation with me, and we talked about his kids who are big-time coffee drinkers out in California, and he wants to give all of his kids bought gifts of Founding Flavors coffee. Well, you can get a gift for your family member at ap4libertyshop.com, just like he did, he says that I make the coffee sound so good that he is a non-coffee drinker almost wants to drink it. It is delicious. It is ultra premium. It is one of the best coffees that you will ever taste if you love coffee. If you're not a coffee lover, any $5 bag of coffee will do. I get it. But if you're like me and you have a little bit more sophisticated tastes when it comes to coffee and you say to yourself, you know what? I've been drinking this other stuff, this swill for such a long time grab a box of AP for Liberty Shops Founding Flavors Coffee today. Go to ap4libertyshop.com. Get yourself a bag. My favorite, I say bag, but it's a box. 
My favorite flavor is Thomas's Painkiller, but I gotta be honest, the Martha's Mint that I've been enjoying all this month, that exclusive flavor, which is gonna be gone in less than a month. You can only get it at apforlibertyshop.com. I've been drinking that one and it's like top in the charts. It's absolutely delicious. So get yours today at apforlibertyshop.com. And when we get back, we hear from Judge Napolitano about the Americans for Prosperity endorsement of Nikki Haley. It doesn't make any damn sense. We'll talk about that when we get back on the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad to have you here. How's everybody feeling today? In good mood? Well, the next topic might make you feel sour, but my guest is sure to make you smile. Every Wednesday here on the show, we like to call it Big Brain Time, when one of the biggest and brightest libertarians in the world comes and joins us. He's one of the great ones. He's the host of the Judging Freedom podcast, which you can download on any of your mobile devices. And of course, his weekly column at judgenap.com is an absolute must read. He's my good friend, Judge Andrew Napolitano, who's joining us live right now. Good morning, Judge. Good morning, Austin. Thank you uh, again for your generous introduction. It's such a pleasure to be with you. Glad to have you here, Judge. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, somber news, uh, our friends from the Koch organization, of whom we know we have known for years and are intimately familiar with their ideology and typically their motivations until now, have decided to endorse the neoconservative Nikki Haley for president of the United States in the primary. And I just don't understand it. What it's is your very, response to this? It's very unsettling. You and I both know them well. I did uh, a lot of work uh, for them. Candidly, the person I was closer to uh, of the two Koch brothers, David, is no longer uh, living. But of course, I've been with Charles uh, as well. You know, Americans for Prosperity, their political arm and its various subdivisions uh, have been seriously uh, libertarian until now. The only thing I can think of is that they fear a Donald Trump uh, presidency. And in their minds, this is the best face I can put on it. Uh, Nikki Haley is the lesser of uh, two evils. That is the lesser evil between Trump and her, and then the lesser evil between whoever the Democrats run and her. Uh, and surely they agree with her on budgetary matters, but they certainly don't agree with her on civil liberties. They certainly don't agree with her on war and peace. I mean, she's Lindsey Graham in high heels when it, when it comes to war and peace. Uh, in fact, just drop the and peace. I mean, she's already called for the U.S. to bomb Tehran. If she out of her mind. So um, it's a head scratcher, except that the animosity between Charles Koch, uh, a self-made billionaire, and Donald Trump, a self-proclaimed billionaire, uh, has been legendary. Uh, and I think that uh, the Koch folks, and, and they're formidable, it's not just Charles and his billions. There's millions and millions of people in their group, and many of them are well-to-do, not as wealthy as Charles. is one of the wealthiest people in the world, but, but wealthy enough to tip the scales uh, in an election. Um, uh, so fear and, and loathe Donald Trump 
that they're willing to pick as as unsavory an alternative as uh, Nikki Haley in an attempt to keep him off the ballot. That's the best uh, explanation uh, I can come up with. It's it, this is not ideological. It, it it makes sense to on some level, Judge, but on another level, you can have to consider. I mean, Ron DeSantis is still in the race. And he is at least ostensibly a little bit closer to libertarian values than Nikki Haley does, than, than Nikki Haley is, maybe by a, a, a small step, perhaps. But it's it would seem to me to make more sense at least to go for a DeSantis endorsement. Why do you think they chose Nikki Haley over him? Don't know. I don't know, um, uh, Austin. Uh, Nikki Haley has said weird things, not only um, about bombing Tehran, but... Um, forcing you to reveal who you are whenever you uh, engage in social media. So you can't be Austin from Missouri. You would have to put your true name. That is forced speech, which is expressly prohibited uh, by Supreme Court opinions interpreting uh, the Constitution. Um, I, I think Nikki Haley is, is dangerous. I don't know how anybody who believes in the primacy of uh, personal liberty uh, could vote for her. Uh, head scratcher. And Judge, but I must tell you, it might uh, tip the scales. I mean, this this might start momentum of people like Ken Langone, who's a conservative with some libertarian instincts, fabulously wealthy, not as wealthy as um, Charles uh, Koch. Very few people are, but but you know, hundreds of um, you know, well into the billions. Um, it, it might cause them to engage in this stampede toward uh, Nikki Haley. I think that's what they're all hoping, leaving uh, DeSantis and uh, Christie in the dust. It's ridiculous. I don't think that's going to happen. I don't think that all of their billions can make Nikki Haley more attractive to the base of the Republican Party, who she needs to win a primary. She might be able to win in, in neocon New Hampshire, but she's certainly not going to be able to do so in Iowa or any of the other states where the base of the Republican Party lies firmly with Trump. And let me tell you something, Don, uh, uh, Judge. If I had to choose between Donald Trump and Nikki Haley, I would choose Donald Trump. What about you? Be a tough choice for me to make, but uh, uh, Trump is certainly uh, with us on uh, war and peace, on restraining the military, on bringing the troops home, on getting out of NATO, on things that once were radical and sound sounded radical and now are uh rational um boy if this is a personality dispute between charles Koch and donald trump it's it, it's bad that that shouldn't be the basis for the movement of hundreds of millions of dollars and tens of millions of votes it, judge, this is wild judge because i mean this involves intimate people of whom we are aware of their motivations and their and their ideologies and their understandings this is nothing more than in my opinion judge trump derangement syndrome it, it's caused people to to act bizarrely and and i know you've been accused of it before but i understand your motivations are deeply ideological but i don't see that as the case here i don't well, see someone coming out and saying i support nikki haley as making this kind of a decision on a, any kind of an ideological basis it's a personal one you're you're look, just if they, the things if that they you, had said you know uh, Trump is a wild spender. He was. Uh, Trump doesn't understand economics 101 or believe in the free market because of uh, tariffs. True. 
if they had made uh, uh, statements like Trump actually raised taxes for some people in states he hates, New York, New Jersey, California, I live in New Jersey, true, they had made statements like that as a reason not to vote for him, statements grounded in economic principle, well, we could understand it. But the person they chose instead has more baggage. Uh. I, I see uh, in this uh, conflict in the Republican primary, you know, the that there is uh, I saw Mitt Romney announced that he could vote for anyone in the Republican primary, but maybe not Vivek and definitely not Donald Trump which is kind of a yellow flag for me when it comes to Ron DeSantis. I mean, I'm obviously, you know, not going to be in favor of Nikki Haley or Chris Christie, but it's kind of a yellow flag that Mitt Romney says, well, he wouldn't vote for Vivek. I kind of like Vivek Ramaswamy. I'll be honest. I think of all of the candidates, he's the most close to what you and I believe. But the fact that Mitt Romney says he couldn't vote for Trump or Vivek which leaves the door open that he could vote for Ron DeSantis, Nikki Haley, or um, or Chris Christie. It is a bit of a yellow flag. It makes me wonder if Ron DeSantis really is sort of on our side. On And when I say on our side, I'm speaking more broadly, Judge, as the kind of like the general right-wing populace. In in a way, you and I are are sort of with the libertarian populace. We're, we're sort of, if we're, if there's a global movement of populism, we're from the Javier Malay wing, if you will, right? You have the Geert Wilders wing, who may become the next prime minister of the Netherlands. And then you have Donald Trump and Vivek Ramaswamy here in the United States. Vivek probably closer to us and to Javier Malay, of course, than Trump is. But when Mitt Romney says that he couldn't vote for Vivek or Trump, it then implies he could vote for DeSantis. Does that, does that sort of throw a yellow flag for well, you I as think well, a red flag? Let, let's say the unthinkable happens and Joe Biden goes home to Rehoboth Beach and the Democrats nominate Hillary Clinton. I think that Mitt Romney would uh, would be charge of Republicans for Hillary. I happen to like him. He's a very likable, uh, warm person, but he doesn't embrace the principles that uh, you and I uh, embrace. Some of these people whose uh, names you just articulated don't fully embrace the principles that you and I uh, embrace. I have to correct what I said last week about uh, Javier Malay, who, after he was elected, announced he's in favor of military assistance to Ukraine and military assistance to uh, Israel. So his Rothbardianism is, uh, or Rothbardian libertarianism, for those who want to be precise, uh, appears to be confined to uh, domestic economic um, uh, policies. And in terms of DeSantis, I don't know that there's a libertarian bone uh, in his body. I mean, I'm, I'm, I don't particularly enjoy drag shows, but he tried to make them illegal. Well, that's just absurd uh, under the First Amendment. If somebody want, male wants to dress up as a female and others find that uh, entertaining, what business is that of the government? One other problem I had with Ron DeSantis was his handling of the agreement that Walt Disney World had with Florida uh, in or because because judge they were attacking Ron DeSantis was attacking Disney for expressing a political opinion which in my mind is a violation of their first amendment rights. I don't I may not agree with Disney, but at the end of the day they still have their free speech rights that they can express. And then in order to punish Disney for their free speech, 
he actually took away their ability to self-govern on their own private property to enforce fire restrictions, fire codes, to to to, to have you know private police on their own property to to pay for the maintenance of their own roads and imposed the cost of all of those publics of the of those private services onto the Florida taxpayer by forcing them to be public services, which is anti-liber as anti-libertarian as it gets. The correct answer to that, if he really wanted to punish Disney, would have been to extend those libertarian benefits to Universal Studios, to his competitors out there, to force them to compete in a more free market way. Am correct. I on the right track here? You're you're hundred percent on the right track. But but Austin, people like Ron DeSantis, who are more comfortable with power than with principle, do not see competition uh, as a virtue. Uh, and to him, a virtue is a sort of a uniformity of uh, political uh, expression, which is why I could never support him. I don't even know where he is on foreign policy. He started out his campaign very Trumpian, critical of NATO, and saying he wouldn't sign any legislation to provide more uh, military assistance to Ukraine. Um, I don't know if he still feels that way. Uh, he did say he'd sign, um, and maybe has, I don't know what the law is in uh, Florida, a six-week ban uh, on abortion, uh, which Trump and uh, Christie have condemned. Uh, so there's there's good and bad there. But in terms of libertarian principles, the primacy of the individual over the state, the right to be left alone. That's not Ron DeSantis. Hey, Ramaswamy fact, came it's out not, it's not any Republican that I uh, know of. The last person to talk like that on the national scene uh, of, of any credibility is Ron Paul. Vivek Ramaswamy this week said that he also opposes uh, uh, United States taxpayer funds to go to aid for Israel. Uh, which well, on that, I agree with him. I, I find him a disagreeable person, but that's just his really? personality. But on many of the tell things me, he says, I agree with him. Okay, well, tell me about that, Judge, because I'm, I'm starting to like Vivek Ramaswamy, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on him. Well, I mean, I ju he just rubs me the wrong way. He can't, he can't stop. It's just like a, an overwound mainspring on a cheap watch. Now, people have said that about you and me well. Yes. Um, uh, but in terms of wanting to shrink the government, uh, obviously his heart uh, is, in, is in the right place. And wanting to keep us from getting involved in foreign entanglements, uh, his heart is in the right place. I just don't think he's a serious candidate. I don't know if that's because... He hasn't held office before. Well, Donald Trump didn't hold office uh, before. I don't know. I just never took him seriously. I don't. I don't think uh, enough Republicans take him seriously that he's a factor in South Carolina, New Hampshire, or Iowa. Maybe I'm wrong. No, 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 no. This is well. This is a fascinating discussion, no, Judge. What, uh, what upsets me is whoever these nominees are. There's whoever runs for the Republicans or runs for the Democrats. Is not going to appeal uh, to us because they're, you know, warfare, welfare, deep state, emergency rules, big government, trash the Constitution. We can write any law. We can regulate any behavior. We can tax any event. It doesn't matter which party they're from. They all do uh, the same thing. Uh, Section 702, which suspends the Fourth Amendment for foreign persons and the Americans with, with whom they communicate, 
will be an example of this. We might not know who they are because they're going to hide the vote on it by burying this monstrosity in a thousand page uh, Defense Department uh, appropriations bill. Uh, but if there were an up or down vote on it, we would who believes that the Constitution means what it says and who doesn't. A question, interesting question, Judge, which we were discussing online for the last couple of weeks. Um, some people were attacking Vivek Ramaswamy for being a Hindu. Uh, he has stated, uh, yeah, he is. He has claimed that he believes that there is one true God, uh, and, and I found that fascinating. He said he has said that if you absolutely feel that you can only vote for a Christian, then I'm sorry. Then. Obviously, you won't be able to vote for me. But he says, you know, if he became president, he would be the first non-Christian president since Thomas Jefferson. Would you have a problem voting for someone for president of the United States if they were not a Christian, Judge? No, I would have no problem uh, whatsoever, as long as they embrace a basic Judeo-Christian morality uh, of, uh, of natural rights, what is basically right and what is basically wrong that we know from our hearts and from our, uh, our instinct. Um, I, I would have no, uh, problem with that, uh, whatsoever. Uh, and anybody that Do does, that's you know, has, has a bias, has a bias in them, which is, is lawful and moral, but culturally deplorable. Do you think that that's, uh, that, that opinion is widely held amongst Christians judge, or do you think that that's narrowly held? I think it's narrowly held. Uh, I think, uh, uh, most Christians are biased in favor of other Christians. Um, you know, bias being defined as a, a predilection in favor, prejudice being defined as a predilection against. So there's a, a prejudice against a, a dark-skinned person who belongs to a religion with which you don't have any familiarity. I mean, he believes in the same God the Father that we do. He just doesn't believe in the Son and the Holy Ghost. Fascinating conversation I'm having here with Judge Andrew Napolitano is the host of the Judging Freedom podcast, which you can download on any of your mobile devices and read his weekly column at judgenap.com. Do us a favor, click the like button and subscribe to the channel as you're tuning in here to us live. We'd love to have you come back and join us. The judge joins us every Wednesday at 8 a.m. Central Time, and we call this Big Brain Time, where we really get into the nitty gritty dirt band of of the issues behind the issues, if you will. <laughs> That's another we, thing you taught me when we worked together, not dirt band, but sort of uh, lowbrow cultural things. <laughs> <laughs> I know there was something called the nitty gritty dirt band. I wouldn't know them if they bit me in the nose, but I know they exist they still exist. <laughs> judge, wait, Judge. Do you remember that time that we got we got headlines? I, I think it was in media because uh, we had a, a prostitute and a porn star on the show. Yes, yes. <laughs> and, and they were libertarians. Fought. They were serious they were, libertarians. And they were libertarians. And and I remember you fought us so hard, tooth and nail, not to do that segment. And then once it was over, you were like that. And once we saw all the attention, the media attention we got, we were like, that was great. I was yeah. like, I told you. <laughs> I told you, Judge. <laughs> it drew drew more, uh, more eyeballs than Rick Santorum, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, my gosh. We've had some good times, Judge. You know, the holiday season always makes me feel nostalgic. And I think of, um, you know, the lessons I've learned in my life and, and, you know, where we're at and where we're going. Maybe it's a 
a metaphor for the ghosts of Christmas past, Christmas present, and Christmas future. I wonder if you if you have the same kind of reflections that I do on life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and where the liberty movement is at. I know you know it can't always be sunshine and rainbows, but maybe I, perhaps you can share with us your thoughts about where we're at and where we might be going, Judge. Well, I wish I knew uh, where we are and where we're going. Um, I am fearful. Uh, for the uh, liberty movement. Un unfortunately, it needs a, a person like uh, Ron Paul. Right now, it's, it's rather disjointed and exists in pockets here uh, and pockets uh, there. Uh, I mean, the most libertarian person I know, Walter Block, is in favor of Donald Trump. And his theory is the lesser of, uh, of, of two evils. That is not uh, very optimistic for uh, the future of the liberty movement. If someone whose libertarian instincts as deep and profound and refined as uh, Professor Bloch's uh, can be reduced to uh, the lesser of two, uh, of two evils. Will we ever see anybody in the White House who believes that the Constitution means what it says? I mean, you could fit on on you know in a phone booth the people in the congress who believe that the constitution means what it says yesterday there was a vote in the house of representatives it was 428 to 1 428 members of the house of representatives equated opposition to the netanyahu government to anti-semitism to hatred of the jewish people the one thomas massey basically said this is absurd. Of course, you can disagree with the government and shouldn't fear condemnation of the Jewish people. Two thirds of the Jewish people voted against that government. Why does the Congress do nonsense like this and then attempt to tarnish with the brush of anti-Semitism those who disagree? Massey has, Thomas Massey, has uh, the courage and intellectual uh, honesty of a saint. We haven't seen that in the Congress since Ron Paul was there. It's true, Judge. Man, I wish I had more time with you. I've got J.D. Tuchili from Reason Magazine, who's going to be joining me here in just a few minutes, Judge. But I want to give you a chance to share with us who you have coming up on your Judging Freedom podcast and perhaps sneak preview your column. Uh, well, my column... Um, Attacks by name. I rarely, rarely do this. Mike Johnson, the Speaker of the House of Representatives, for uh, not doing what he said he would do when he was just Congressman Mike Johnson, which is oppose the extension of 702, the suspension of Fourth Amendment rights for foreign persons and their American communicants, uh, and permit an up or down vote on it. He, he was in favor of the up or down vote, and he was going to vote no when he was Congressman Mike Johnson. Now that he's Speaker Mike Johnson, he's not permitting uh, the up or down vote. He's in favor of the extension, and he wants to bury it in the National Defense uh, Authorization Act. That, that's what my column is about. Uh, I have two of my heaviest hitters on today, Professor uh, Jeffrey Sachs, three of my heaviest hitters, Professor Jeffrey Sachs of... Um, Columbia University uh, is is Bibi Netanyahu destroying Israel. Professor John Mearsheimer of the uh, University of Chicago 
uh, China waiting in the wings and looking to take advantage of the collapse of NATO in Ukraine and the impending collapse uh, of the Israeli government. Uh, and Phil Giraldi, ex-CIA, um, BB's man in Washington, the chief negotiator for the United States government for the uh, Biden administration on all these matters involving Hamas and the Israel, uh, Israeli government, is an Israeli. wonder where his loyalties are. So that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing today. These are not happy subjects, but they are drawing huge uh, audiences because you don't see this uh, anywhere else. I I can't imagine if we were still at Fox, we would be permitted to do this. No, Judge, the conversations that we just had this morning would not have been permitted. Talking about Hinduism and talking about Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley in an unkind light. We would we'd have not been able to have the conversations. Could you imagine if I called um, Nikki Haley? Uh, Lindsey Graham and heels, high heels on Fox. <laughs> Judge, can you take a vacation until after the new year? <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think I think if, if God has a plan, it's to have us right exactly where we are so we can tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth from Judge Andrew Napolitano. Judge, thank you for your time. We'll speak oh, to you again no, next it's week. It's been the happiest time of the week for me. Thank you. All my best thank to you, you and uh, your lovely bride. Thank you. Have a wonderful day. What do you think of Judge Andrew Napolitano? Good morning, Rise and Freedom. I'm Austin Peterson. You're watching and listening to the Wake Up America show at wakeupamericashow.com. We're glad and grateful to have you here. Hope you enjoyed Judge Napolitano's segment there, talking a little bit about the Americans for Prosperity endorsement of Nikki Haley, which obviously makes no sense at all. But I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You can send us a text at 573-319-1586. All right, well, I guess we haven't talked to in a little while. JD2 Chili is joining us now on the phone line. Uh, we were having a little bit of technical issues getting him patched in. So we're doing it the, I guess, is this low tech? I mean, I've got a phone hooked up to a microphone here. Best I can. J.D. Tuchilli is a writer at Reason Magazine. and his latest piece, The Science, quote unquote, suffers from self-inflicted political wounds. And he joins us now. Good morning, J.D. How you doing? Good morning to you. Doing well. Hey, glad to have you here, J.D. Uh, so with us, your thoughts here about the separation of politics and science. What's your thesis? Well, the thesis is that that would be a really good idea. And the problem, the reason that would be a really good idea is that science has been evoked um, multiple times over the past few years, in particular since the beginning of the pandemic. We can also talk about climate change and other issues. Really, let's focus on COVID-19, because what we're seeing is since the beginning of the pandemic, a massive decline in American public faith in science as an institution. Uh, when Pew very recently asked Americans um, if they thought, um, you know, science had had a mostly positive effect or a mostly negative effect or was a wash, a majority did say that it was mostly positive, but it was a majority that had declined by 16% um, over since uh, 2020 um, and incrementally during that time. Um, and it's, it's happening across the board. And the problem, when you dig down deeper, is that science has been evoked too many times to justify policy preferences and prejudices of government officials and uh, people who just have strongly held opinions that aren't unassailable, but they pretend are unassailable because they, when they say follow the science, they really mean don't argue with them. It was a scary time, and a lot of people, uh, I think, be clowned themselves during the pandemic 
turning into little tyrants in their public health institutions around the, the country. But probably the most damning behavior of all of all was revealed in regards to the administration at the time, Joe Biden, as we transition from Trump to Biden, the um, the administration's behavior in regards to speech online related to the pandemic, as everyone was trying to figure out what was real, what wasn't real, what was true about the uh, disease and what was not true. The Biden ad administration cracked down on not on, not misinformation and not disinformation, but what they called and had to coin a new term for malinformation, which is information that is true, but is harmful to the administration. I mean, the social media uh, impact, I can't be understated in, in regards to our liberties and the undermining of science. Am I right? Well, absolutely. I mean, of course, the larger lesson here is that anytime you let governments start dictating what's acceptable speech, uh, they'll very, very quickly end up trying to suppress inconvenient speech, not bad speech, just stuff they don't like. But in particular, in this case, we know from the Twitter files, which was uh, released by Elon, Elon Musk last year when he bought Twitter, which is now X, and then um, access to Facebook files, which was similar information dug out from Facebook that the government was leaning on them. Press, um, in particular, um, dissenting, but, all, but also very respectable medical scientists physicians. People like Jay Bataria and Martin Koldorf uh, from Stanford and from Harvard, respectively, who definitely know their field, certainly know virology, but differed with the recommendations of the administration and its preferred scientists. And rather than debate them publicly, the government wanted to suppress their speech so they could not get their message out. And we know this even more so now because they, um, they want a case. They want a lawsuit against the government in which the uh, actually the court at the appeals level referred to what the government was doing as an Orwellian ministry of truth. Um, it was, it's kind of horrifying because science is not about the truth with a capital T. It's about the pursuit of knowledge. And knowledge evolves and develops as more evidence emerges. And then you interpret that. You may get policy out of it. But that's going to be based not just on the facts that emerge, but also references, values, ideology. There's all sorts of things that go into that. There's no capital T truth to be found there. And when you suppress dissenting voices, it's very clear that you're not following the science. You're wielding science as a weapon in order to just kind of club, club your way through to impose your preferred policies. J.D., is there a partisan divide on how Republicans versus Democrats view science now? You know, there is, except that it's, it's limiting. Um, originally, there was this whole thing where, um, you know, Democrats follow the science, and they prefer lockdowns and mask mandates and uh, more restrictive policies. And the Republicans, who prefer the lighter touch, uh, became skeptical of science. And so you started seeing uh, Democrat trust in science rising and Republicans dropping. What's happened, though, in the last year is they're dropping across the board. I think we've had enough revelations now of science being corrupted and turned to political purposes that everybody is losing faith in scientists and people who say follow the science. And it's dropped now down to pre-pandemic levels among Democrats. And if you talk about having a lot of faith, it's really just kind of fallen off the edge among Democrats. They still have more faith than Republicans and independents in science, but it's declining for everybody. A lot of goodwill has been lost across the board with Americans by the scientific community. And they'll be a long time trying to win that back. No, for sure. If you're just tuning into the Wake Up America show, good morning. I'm your host, Austin Peterson. I'm speaking to J.D. Tuchilli, 
He's a writer at Reason Magazine. We're talking about the science and why we need a separation of science and state. Um, listen, I've always been a big fan of science and a believer in science, JD, but despite, I think, you know, being a, a more of a skeptical reason-based person, I, I find myself very distrustful of the experts. I mean, you know, with my libertarian instincts might have led me to that no matter what, but more than anything, I really am skeptical of public health officials, not just on the national level, but on the local level as well. Is there anything you think they can do to to stop the erosion of public trust or perhaps even try and gain it back at some point? What do you think could happen? I, well, I think the first thing we've got to do is, is kind of create a divide between science and state, just as we do you know, between church and state and we should between education and state. Science is meant to advise, meant to inform. It's not meant to dictate. Um, I, have a, I have real doubts about the whole public health profession. It's an inherently political one involves policy preferences, and it just begs the officials that hold those positions to use science to justify what they want to do anyway. That's exactly what we've seen in spades over the last few years. So maybe just have those public health officials, if they're going to be in office at all, really offer advice rather than giving them power to enforce and create a real separation between politics and science so that science can regain trust and we can look to it again to, for advice, not for mandates. JD, I'm a subscriber to the Rattler newsletter uh, at Reason Magazine, which you put out, I believe, uh, w once a week, maybe uh, every other week. But I highly recommend people subscribe to it. And I just got your newsletter this morning, but I haven't had time, unfortunately, because of my show to read your newest story. But I'm super keen to hear you discuss it. Your latest article is that uh, about airports poised to lose the battle over gun ads, the city of Flagstaff has banned all advertising but its own. What is this hilarious story? This is ongoing um, in uh, Flagstaff. Flagstaff is a small city in northern Arizona. It's an um, And it's a big tourist destination. For years, um, Timberline uh, gun training, Timberline firearms and training has been running ads at the airport there for tourists. So they can come to, you know, and shoot guns and get training and, and then have, you know, recreational um, opportunities with firearms. Um, and that was through a third party, a company that handled the advertising at the airport for years. The city took over the advertising. Timberline went back to try and place its ads this year. And Flagstaff said, no, we don't want any violence being advertised at our airports. Um, and we have a new policy, which had not been implemented yet. They had put it on it yet, which says that nothing involving firearms can be advertised at the airport. So, you know, Rob Wilson, the owner of Timberline, he objected. He went to the Goldwater Institute, which is a libertarian conservative think tank here in Arizona. And Goldwater pointed out that city governments, any governments, really don't have that kind of authority to limit speech in public venues. Um, you can, there's certain broad parameters. Commercial speech is not as fully protected, say, as political speech is, but it does enjoy First Amendment protection. And the test says that there has to be a clear you know, purpose, a real you know, a government interest in suppressing speech. And not liking guns is not that purpose. Um, what made it even more interesting is that 10 years ago, the Golden Order Institute won a very similar case against Phoenix involving firearms training and city bus stops. And, uh, you know, the state court slapped down uh, the city of Phoenix and Phoenix had to run the uh, the ads for firearms training. There's no reason to believe that the case would go any differently 10 years later in the city of Flagstaff involving ads at the airport. 
So Flagstaff took their ball and went home. They said they're not going to allow any ads at the airport at all. Except they'll add one caveat. They're going to have the city agency that does tourism promotion um, run ads. And that city agency promotes its favorite businesses to pay a city bed and breakfast tax. So you're still going to have businesses getting promoted. So I predict litigation in the future. J.D., I know that most of our listeners are concerned about the national debt here in the United States. And you know nobody would bat, twi- bat an eye at the suggestion that we need to get things under control. But just how big of a problem are we facing? Just what kind of hot water are we in with the national debt at the moment? Well, to illustrate it, when I wrote that piece um, a week ago on, um, on the 22nd, the national debt stood at $33.7 trillion. As of this morning, it's $33.8 trillion. So it's growing pretty quickly. Um, we have been warned by the uh, you. Uh, the University of Pennsylvania Wharton Budget Project, that the U.S. government has 20 years at most to decide how it's going to handle its deficit and debt problem, after which point it will run out of options and will, without any without any doubt, default on the debt that it owes, meaning the people who loan the government money will only get dimes back on their dollars at best. The government won't pay back what it owes. Uh, this is a big deal. It could crash the economy. Value the U.S. dollar. It will make us all poorer if it happens. And that twenty years is the best case scenario. That's assuming that investors don't completely lose faith, back away, and um, and make the government borrow at a much higher uh, interest rate, which actually is already happening. Interest rate for the government has gone up, and it's gone up because international borrowers are walking away. China and Japan, in particular, have stopped buying U.S. Uh, Treasury debt. And that means if you want to lure international uh, borrowers back, you've got to raise your interest rate, pay them even more. The U.S. government is now paying more to service its debt, pays support national defense. That means that's just interest payments on money that was already borrowed in the past, plus more than aircraft carriers and bombers and troops stationed all over the world. Uh, that's a big deal, and it means we're running out of time. And there's absolutely no evidence that Congress has the will or the ability to address the problem. Hey, maybe the accelerationists are right, though, because in the case of Argentina, for example, it led to the devaluation of their peso led to the election of an anarcho-capitalist for president. So maybe there's a silver lining at the end of the tunnel. Yeah, there could well be, although I'll point out that uh, Argentina has been a basket case for about 70, 80 years. If we're going to wait that long for our equivalents, um, <laughs> you and I are going to be... Uh, Pretty old and gray at best. <laughs> J.D. Tuchili, hey, is there anything else you want to share with our listeners before we let you go? Maybe how they can subscribe to your awesome newsletter. Come read one of my articles, and there's an opportunity. It's a three times a week newsletter, and there's an opportunity to sign up in each each one of my articles. Cost nothing, and you get everything delivered to your inbox. There we go, J.D. Tuchili. Hey, thanks for getting so early for us, and as always, thanks for defending freedom. We appreciate you being so generous with your time. Thanks for having me on. You take care. Thank you. That's J.D. Tuchili. He's a writer at Reason Magazine. Uh, Yeah, so it wasn't a low-tech. It was a low-fidelity way to do the interview this morning. (laughs) Sorry, guys. I, uh, you know, what do you do sometimes? I got to figure out what's going on with the phones and why I can't get the phone connected to the the Wake Up America show for our callers. But anyways, you can text the show at 573-319-1586. That's 573-319-1586. 319-1586. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Three wake-up calls 
for those days when you're overwhelmed and not sure what to do. Um, just lately, I've been feeling a little bit overwhelmed with everything that's going on. And I think it has a lot to do with a lot of the attacks that I'm getting online, which have really stepped up in intensity in the last couple of months. And I've been trying to do my best to, to you know, not let the intrusive thoughts win. And there's a lot of things going on in my personal life that uh, that I can't talk about that are that are weighing heavily on me intensely. For one thing, I could say, obviously, it, it, without uh, you know, it, you know, blowing any um, you know personal details, is that my um, dog Calvin, for example, is uh, suffering from back problems again last night, and he and whenever you touch him, he like kind of whines and like cries and stuff he's got he's always had back issues and every once in a while it will flare up and sometimes his back legs will go lame and he won't be able to walk other than from his front paws and so last night uh he started to to you know struggle a little bit with walking and was whining and crying and stuff like that and it just breaks your heart to hear it and of course that means that i have to carry him out to go to the bathroom and we have to keep him on crate rest and we have to take him to get water and food and it just really steps up the activity uh, in our household. And there's a lot of things going on, of course, that are just stressing me and bringing on a lot of, of stress. The holidays are coming, right? You got to get Christmas presents for your family and make all your arrangements. We're trying to go to a trip on San Francisco. I'm feeling overwhelmed. <laughs> and of course, get up every morning at 4.30 a.m. and get in here and do the Wake Up America show five days a week. So this is for you. Three wake-up calls for those days when you're overwhelmed and you're not sure what to do. Once upon a time, there was a man who had been lost in the desert for three whole days without water. Just as he was about to collapse, he saw what appeared to be a lake a few hundred yards in front of him. Could it be or just a mirage, he thought to himself. With the last bit of strength that he could muster, he staggered toward the lake and quickly learned that his prayers had been answered. It was no mirage. It was indeed a large spring-fed lake full of fresh water, more fresh water than he could ever drink in his lifetime. Yet while he was practically dying of thirst, he couldn't bring himself to drink the water. He simply stood by the water's edge and stared down on it. There was a passerby riding on a camel from a nearby town who was watching the man's behavior. She got off her camel, walked up to the thirsty man and asked, why don't you have a drink, sir? He looked up at the woman with an exhausted, distraught expression on his face and tears welling up in his eyes. He says, I think I'm dying of thirst, but there's way too much water here in this lake to drink. No matter what I do, I cannot possibly finish it all. The passerby smiled, softly bent down, scooped some water up with her hands, lifted it to the man's mouth and said, Sir, your opportunity right now, and as you move forward through the rest of your life, is to understand you don't have to drink the whole lake to quench your thirst. You can simply take one sip, just one small sip, and then another if you choose. Focus on only the mouthful in front of you, and most of your anxiety, fear, it will and overwhelming a feeling overwhelmed about the rest will gradually fade in life we can't take more than one sip at a time challenge yourself today like myself to focus solely on the sip the task the step that you're actually taking right honestly that's all life is right small positive actions that you take moment by moment and then one day when you look back it all adds up to something worthwhile right something that's often far different and better than what you had imagined when you started and if you're having trouble sorting out where to start, remember, writing things down helps, right? Usually everything seems far more overwhelming in our heads. So get out of your head by writing everything down in small, ta tiny tasks that you can take on gradually. The smaller, the better too, right? Writing the list can be one of the tasks, right? So then you already checked the first thing off, right? Then you can do the next tiny thing and check it off and the next 
right? And you do so and you build a gradual sense of achievement and a degree of control over your world, which reduces the overwhelming feelings that you might feel, or at least enables you to cope as you're moving forward one sip at a time. Number two, we all do lots of things that don't need to be done, right? Our lives get incredibly complicated. Um, but you know, a lot of time gradually the complications will start to creep up on us. And then all of a sudden, we're entirely overwhelmed. So, you know, today you order a few things on Amazon, tomorrow, somebody gives you a birthday present, then you get excited and you roll in a free giveaway at church and you win and then you decide you need a six foot cabinet to store all your growing pile of stuff. And then as things go on, the clutter starts to build up in the space because you keep adding new things without purging the old. And the cycle continues in all walks of life too, right? So today you say yes to a Facebook party invitation. Then you say yes when a neighbor asks you to help furniture. Then you get invited to a quick lunch meeting. And then on and on and on until all of a sudden you're way too busy and your schedule is too packed. And if you're feeling stressed, right, you then you start to distract yourself and then you're reading Google News or you're uh, uh, scrolling on Instagram and you're not doing what you need to be doing to try and get the clutter out of your life, right? Take a step back on a regular basis, reevaluate what, re what it is you're actually doing and why is it that you're doing what you're doing, right? Um, instead of thinking, oh my gosh, there's so much to do, let's ask, should I actually be doing all of this? And number three, it's necessary to say no to some really good things. You get that? We all have opportunities and obligations, but a healthy and productive routine can only be found in the long run by properly managing your yeses. And yes, sometimes you have to say no to really good opportunities and obligations. You can't always be agreeable. That's how people take advantage of you. And that's how you end up taking advantage of yourself too. You have to set clear boundaries. You might have to say no to certain favors, work projects, community associations, church activities, volunteer groups, coaching your kids sports teams or some other seemingly worthwhile activity. Now I know it seems unfair to say no when those are worthwhile things to do and it pains you to say no, but you must. Because the alternative is that you're going to do a half baked poor job at each one, be stressed out, feel like you're stuck in an endless cycle of busyness. And eventually you're going to reach a breaking point. You know, the truth is the main thing that keeps so many of us stuck in an overwhelming cycle is the fantasy in our minds that we can be everything to everyone everywhere at once and a hero on all fronts. But again, that's not reality. I need to say that to myself. I need to repeat this to myself. Trust me all the time. I can't be everything to everyone. I can't. I can't. I want to be successful as a libertarian podcaster and a small business person. And I want to be a successful husband and I want to be a successful, uh, you know, dad one day and, and a successful, you know, father of my parent of my dog, for example, <laughs> and so that he, he doesn't have back problems and things. But I just can't be absolutely everything to everyone. I be the best I can be the best that I can with the things that are most important and the biggest obligations that I have. But I'm not going to please everybody. I just can't. And I've got to do the best that I can based on the information that I have and the time that I have. But I wonder what your thoughts are on this one listener texted in said sorry about Calvin dogs are the very best friends and it's so difficult when they're having problems wishing the best for you both thank you very much Calvin is my very first dog Calvin is like my first dog that's my dog so when he's hurting and he's crying and he's whining and I can't pick him up because it hurts him so much and I tell you that that hurts your heart it does it absolutely hurts your heart and there really isn't you know a lot I can do about it there just isn't and sometimes we have to have the courage to accept the things that we cannot change but change the things that we can. What do you think?
Thank you very much to all of our listeners and friends joining us here live on the stream this morning. We appreciate very much. Luke Sacker, Will Run Riot, Brashing. First time I've seen you here, Brashing. Welcome. Blue Trike, Will Run Riot, BIPOC doing racism. Very funny. Uh, Andy Opperman is here as well. Wapo Loco says, saw you debate Burke. You did very well. Kept your cool. Had the best arguments. Thank you, Wapo. Quantum Kitty. Nice to see you, Kill. How you doing? Sedan joining us live this morning. First time I've seen you here. Welcome. Hope you click like and subscribe so we can see you again tomorrow morning. We appreciate all of our friends joining us here live on the show this morning. Quest Fanning as well. Blue Trike. Hi, guys. All right. Show is over. We appreciate you very much. Andy Opperman says, great show. Thank you very much. Team Mill 22. Nice to see you. First time I've seen you here. Hope that you'll come back again tomorrow. Make sure that you subscribe so we don't miss you. And we'll see you tomorrow on the Wake Up America Show at wakeupamericashow.com. Expansive time. How you?